Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and uh, I'm looking to get today again at the question of uh, Eisenhower and the uh, purge of uh, communists in America during his time in office and that of Truman before him. Um, and the the way in which Eisenhower approached the problem of Joseph McCarthy, Joseph McCarthy, the Wisconsin senator who had been elected in 1946, um, was part of this new intake of uh, Republicans who knew that the only the only tool they had to dislodge the Democrats from office, which they did with uh, Eisenhower. Um, was uh, anti-communism and the Cold War and the perception that the Democrats were weak on communism because they, uh, under a Democrat president, uh, Roosevelt had been very friendly as well notionally very friendly with the USSR during the war. Uh, Roosevelt uh, kept the Soviets at, at a longer distance than he's perhaps kind of recognised for. And the fact that... Um, the the New Deal um, could be portrayed to, uh, particularly to the upper middle classes of America, as some kind of uh, introduction of an alien brand of socialism into America, which it wasn't at at all. The the New Deal was a a resumption of a more classical model of 19th century uh, economics practised in most um, European uh, countries and and America during the 19th century of of a a kind of regulation of capitalism um, in order to prevent it from devouring itself. Uh, Roosevelt was no communist. Uh, Roosevelt was very committed to the capitalist system, um, did more to see its longevity than probably any other US president. Okay, so um, here we we return to a book that we've looked at many, many times before, which is Grand Expectations by James Patterson, uh, an excellent general reader of American history, 1945 to 74, from Roosevelt to, to Nixon. And previously, we were looking at um, the role of the FBI in anti-communist affairs Um, and it begins this section looking at the effect of uh, anti-communist hysteria on one of the most high-profile victims which was Robert J Oppenheimer um, father of the atomic bomb supposedly so uh, James Patterson writes One of the most famous casualties of of such government efforts was J. Robert Oppenheimer, father of the atomic bomb, who was stripped of his security clearance by the Atomic Energy Commission in June 1954. He was thereupon terminated as a government consultant. This action followed six months of investigations during which it became clear that the FBI had bugged and tapped his activities for 14 years. Oppenheimer had many left-wing friends and relatives, including his wife, who'd been a communist. During the war, he had lied to the investigators about their connections in order to protect them. But this was old, known information, and many of his scientific associates, including Harvard President James Conant, were shocked at what had happened to him. They realised that Oppenheimer was being punished primarily for his opposition to the development of the hydrogen bomb. And Oppenheimer's fate was sad. He lost access to scientific developments, his life and career, and was cut off from other scientists, many of whom were afraid to talk to him. 
So amidst the kind of the individual tragedies, the uh, treatment of people like Oppenheimer or the writer Dalton Trumbo um, was a kind of a, a much bigger political game being played in, in Washington. Um, and we would see it now here in the 21st century, having had the experience of, of Trump as a, a kind of a, a battle between the, the, the sort of notionally con, uh, liberal centre ground, though um, the, the the liberals of the post-war era in uh, America were capable of doing some profoundly illiberal things, and a, a right-wing populism. And there there is a kind of a, a long sort of not necessarily unbroken, but um, a, a, an identifiable. Uh, line of uh, rabble-rousing um, right-wing um, populism uh, from McCarthy to Trump, really, um, and uh, with the people such as Nixon and Reagan and Goldwater uh, in the middle. Uh, the example of uh, the, the, the the kind of the comparison between uh, Trump and McCarthy is is apt in the sense that both rely on um, outright political lying and conspiratorialism and exaggeration and innuendo and being able to perform some kind of right-wing pantomime to the public uh, in order to uh, engender feelings of fear, hostility, anger and, and resentment in the interests of, of a political career. So everything Trump has done, McCarthy uh, did first, uh, arguably he had uh, predecessors too. Anyway, James Patterson writes, the ultimate test of Eisenhower's approach to loyalty and security was, of course, the question of McCarthy. Once the GOP regained control of the Senate, McCarthy was in his element, for he now had a chairmanship of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, from which he launched probes that irritated the new administration. Even though McCarthy and Eisenhower were both Republicans, they weren't necessarily Republicans of the same kind of breed. Um, assisting him uh, was a subcommittee staff headed by uh, Chief Counsel Roy Cohn, a sour, troubled and fervently anti-communist attorney. Uh, and April, in April 1953, Cohn and a close friend, C, uh, G. David Shine, set off a well-publicised tour of Europe in which they called for the purging of allegedly subversive literature from government libraries. The State Department panicked and issued a directive excluding books and works of art by communists and fellow travellers, etc. From the United States Information Centres abroad, um, a few books were actually burned. So what can we draw from this? Well, it shows that um, characters like um, Cohn uh, and McCarthy uh, had immense power in some ways because of their um, position uh, and in other ways because of the amount of media um, publicity they were able to, to generate. Um, they were experts in the art of noise, if you will. Uh, and um, Eisenhower was painfully aware of this and wasn't entirely sure 
which way to uh, approach McCarthy. He was uh, astute enough to see that uh, as a political adversary, uh, McCarthy was an exceedingly uh, dangerous individual. Patterson writes, Eisenhower had never cared for McCarthy, and he fumed when the senator considered contesting the confirmation of Walter Bedell Smith, a close friend had been Ike's chief of staff in the army, as undersecretary of state in early 1953. By then, Ike was becoming increasingly friendly with Taft, GOP leader in the Senate, and Taft managed to get Smith confirmed. Meanwhile, the president tried quietly to undermine McCarthy in other ways, encouraging GOP senators to oppose him, getting uh, reluctant Vice President Nixon to stave off McCarthy's probes into network television, trying to prevent McCarthy from speaking at party gatherings, and suggesting very indirectly to publishers and to other media executives that they give the rampant senator less time and space. Fred Greenstein, a political scientist, later cited these moves as evidence for what he called Eisenhower's shrewd, subtle and effective hidden hand presidency. Eisenhower, however, refused to go beyond indirection or challenge McCarthy head-on. There were several reasons for his reluctance to do battle. Firstly, he agreed with many of McCarthy's goals. As his, policy, as his policies made clear, he was a staunch cold warrior. Secondly, he feared intra-party brawl, an intra-party brawl that would further imperil his shaky GOP majorities in Congress. McCarthy, after all, was a Republican and the president was a leader of the party. Thirdly, Eisenhower recognised that direct confrontation with McCarthy would give the rambunctious, often uncontrollable senator even more publicity, on which McCarthy thrived that he already ha- uh, than he already had. It was better, he thought, to try to ignore him and to hope that given enough rope, the senator would eventually hang himself. This turns out to be the winning strategy. Eisenhower finally was afraid that a fight with McCarthy would diminish the all-important dignity of the presidency. Why use up vital presidential resources to scrap with an alley fighter? I will not get into the gutter with that guy, he said privately. Later in the year, he added again privately, I just won't get into a pissing contest with that skunk. So, I mean, sometimes this is the the correct strategy, um, trying to out-populist a populist is, um, as Britain's Conservative Party had learned in uh, 2016 to their great regret, um, uh, this is uh, often a a failure of, of an idea. The point is with McCarthy, that McCarthy was uh, uh, working on the basis of complete falsehoods, uh, or not necessarily complete falsehoods, because there were Soviet spies in America, but uh, he was working on the basis that he had the names and lists of of who they were. Um, And there was uh, a, a... a connect with the Republican base and with large numbers of Americans who also feared um, that America's place in the world was imperiled and that America was threatened by communism, who weren't going to be dissuaded from that notion. It was important that Eisenhower uh, avoid being dragged into a a, a fight, uh, particularly with somebody from his own party. The uh, question of the uh, dignity of the office of president, which um, 
now seems to be kind of an almost almost quaint notion um, were based on two other deeper concerns. One was um, the uh, personal popularity that Eisenhower had with American people, um, the uh, war hero. Um, Eisenhower writes, uh, Patterson, while self-confidence nonetheless craved popular approval, he generally avoided tough decisions that might threaten it. Secondly, he very much wanted to promote domestic tranquility. Throughout his presidency, he feared to take actions that might undermine what he considered to be the harmony of American society. He also believed that his mission should be to restrain the role of government, not to force it to fulfil great goals or obligations. These aspirations, protecting his own standing, sustaining domestic tranquility and curbing the activity of the state, complemented one another in his mind and helped to explain why he often chose not to do potentially controversial things, advance ambitious social programmes, push the civil rights or get involved in the war in Vietnam. They also accounted for his restraining approach to McCarthy. To wade into that area with such a demagogue, he thought, would endanger his popularity inside this court and damage social harmony. In many ways, um, Eisenhower was uh, quite quite deluded in his views of America, this idea that social harmony existed in this country riven by racial and class divisions and um, questions, growing questions of um, generational questions around that identity and um, questions uh, around um, the, the rights that uh, women would enjoy in society. This is a society that, that isn't harmonious and is uh, increasingly violent. And so um, the question of not engaging with McCarthy on that basis is, is a kind of a curious one. Um, whether Eisenhower, writes Patterson, should have been more bold remains one of the most contested questions about his presidency. As it turns out, McCarthy did overreach himself and crash in mid-1954. The president thereby uh, managed to stay out of the gutter, and his personal popularity, always high, did not suffer. On the other hand, these were in many ways dispiriting times. Federal employees who Eisenhower was supposed to protect were hurt under his watch. If Ike had risked even a little of his immense personal popularity and presidential prestige, he might have slowed the senator down or hastened his demise. It could not have happened. It could have hurt. It could not have hurt him much to try. This refusal to challenge McCarthy represented a major moral blot on his presidency. So the, the downfall from McCarthy happens on television, and as Eisenhower had imagined, uh, McCarthy is given enough rope to hang himself with. At this point, M McCarthy um, had was kind of drunk on the power he had, and actually quite drunk a lot of the time as a, a kind of a, an alcoholic. It was alcoholism that killed him in, in 1957. Um, and he believed that he was um, untouchable. And in many sort of media and political circles, he, he kind of is, but not in the realm of public opinion. And in 1954, this is the point at which he destroyed himself.
Everything finally unraveled for McCarthy in early 1954. In March and April, Edward R. Murrow, a widely respected investigative reporter, ran a series of programmes concerning McCarthy on See It Now, uh, a CBS network po uh, production. It was the first time that television, which had expanded by then uh, to 25 million households, had exposed him in, his, in any major way. For the, for the most part, Murrow let McCarthy's bullying words and truculent actions speak for themselves. McCarthy finally appeared on the show in April and tore into Murrow, calling him the leader and the cleverest of the, uh, of the jackal pack, who is always found at the throat of anyone who dares to expose individual communists and traitors. Scholars debate the impact of these shows, some insisting that most Americans did not watch them. Dragnet, a popular police series, drew far more viewers at the time. Others add that McCarthy was already beginning to fade before the show started. These are valid reminders that television was hardly all-powerful, but See It Now did attract a great deal of attention and critical praise at the time, and it legitimated rising criticism of McCarthy from other media from the other media. If Nixon's Checkers speech indicated that TV could save a politician, see it now, and televised hearings that followed suggested it could also help ruin one. So the next thing that happens to McCarthy is, is a, a totally kind of unprompted disaster. And his ill, his ill-advised attempt um, to ferret out subversive activities in the army. Um, as with many countries, in the United States of America, after the Second World War, the um, army is something of a, I'll call almost a secular religion. It is a, a part of public life that is beyond reproach and beyond criticism. And um, post 9-11, really, you saw a kind of huge kind of resurgence of, of, of this culture. Uh, but particularly at the time, when there were very recent veterans watching the television, many of them anti-communists, but many of them having fought in the Pacific and in uh, Europe. Um, and there were their families and there were even uh, veterans of the First World War and their families still around attacking the army and uh, attacking um, the, uh, the the top brass of the army was a, a very foolish uh, error. The army responded by documenting that McCarthy and Cohn had secured special privileges for Shine than the privates in the army. The Senate established a special committee headed by the South Dakota Republican Carmont to hear the charges and counter charges. The army McCarthy hearings, as everyone soon called them, began on the April 22nd and lasted 36 days, a total of 188 hours, through, due, through to June 17th. Often sensational, they attracted more than 100 reporters and crowds exceeding 400. The hearings were televised to Americans who had little good daytime TV to divert them. Some estimates put peak audiences as high as 20 million. Placed on the defensive, McCarthy began drinking heavily. He often slept in his office and showed up looking unkempt and unshaven. On black and white television, he resembled a heavy from central casting. He spoke in a low, monotone and uh, often petulantly. Again and again, he jumped to his feet to shout, point of order. So often the audiences ultimately broke into laughter. He outdid himself in bullying um, participants and hurling abuse. 
Eisenhower appalled at McCarthy's excesses, thought McCarthy was psychopathic and lawless. But again, he said nothing. What he did do, however, proved problematic indeed for McCarthy, who was demanding access to sensitive information concerning federal employees in the army and elsewhere. Key Republican senators backed McCarthy's demands for such access, but Eisenhower firmly resisted them. I will not allow people around me to be subpoenaed, he told GOP leaders on May the 17th. And you might just as well know it now. Senator William Noland of California rejoined that Congress had a right to issue such subpoenas. The president repeated, my people are not going to be subpoenaed. He then made sure that people appreciated his resolve on the issue, directing his defence secretary to withhold um, his uh, sensitive information from McCarthy and his committee. His language was sweeping in its assertion of presidential authority and dismissal of uh, congressional rights. It is, essentially, is essential to efficient and effective administration that employees of the, ex of the executive branch be in a position to, complete, to be completely candid in advising with each other on official matters. It followed that it is not in the public interest that any of their conversations or communications or any documents or, or reproductions concerning such advice be disclosed. So here's where Eisenhower dug his heels in. And this has been debated many uh, years later as to whether what Eisenhower was doing was actually constitutional or not. But the point is, it didn't give uh, McCarthy the material he needed and uh, utterly exhausted. Um, he finally finished himself off on the uh, afternoon of June the 9th, 1954. The Army Special Counsel, a soft-spoken but shrewd and able attorney named Joseph Welch, was grilling Cohn on the stand. McCarthy broke in and began accusing Welch law firm of harbouring a leftist lawyer named Fred Fisher. The charge was no surprise to Welch, for McCarthy had threatened to, in private to bring it up, so Welch was ready and turned to Munt uh, as a personal privilege for the chance to reply. Until this moment, Senator, he began, I think I never really gauged your cruelty and your recklessness. Welsh then explained that he had earlier taken Fisher off the hearings because Fisher had briefly belonged to a pro-communist National Lawyers Guild. Speaking firmly and with a tone of ineffable sadness, Welsh faced McCarthy and added, Little did I dream that you could be so cruel as to do injury to that lad. Who would now always bear a scar needlessly inflicted by you? If it were in my power to forgive you for your reckless cruelty, I would do so. I like to think that I'm a gentleman, but your forgiveness will have to come from someone other than me. And Patterson writes, McCarthy should have let the matter rest, but he bowled ahead with further attacks on Fisher. Again, Welsh spoke out. Let us not assassinate this man further, Senator. You've done enough. Have you no sense of decency, sir, at long last? Have you, no, have you left no sense of decency? So Welsh was really had the upper hand now, and um, McCarthy uh, butted in again, um, and Welsh just um, cut him off. Um, he said, Mr McCarthy, I will not discuss this further with you. You've sat within six feet of me and could have asked me further about Fred Fisher. You've brought it out. If there is a God in heaven, it will do neither uh, you nor your cause any good. I will not discuss it further. 
I will not ask Mr Conn any more questions. You, Mr Chairman, may, if you will. McCarthy's fate was sealed uh, when the room broke into rapturous applause, clearly indicating to the, the public at large where sympathies now lay. The uh, Munt called for a recess and walked out with Welch. McCarthy turned up his palms and shrugged his shoulders. What did I do? He asked, uh, he asked in confusion. What did I do? He destroyed himself, writes Patterson, on national television. The hearings dragged out for a few more days, but McCarthy was there by then a beaten man. Senator Ralph Flanders of Vermont, a Republican, demanded that the Senate censure him then and there. The Senate didn't. It awaited the findings of a special committee which was appointed to explore McCarthy's activities in the previous few years. When it reported after the uh, elections of 1954, it unanimously, unanimously criticised him for his conduct during, uh, and concluded that his conduct had, had harmed the honour of the Senate. And this was the the most slender charge that McCarthy could be got on, but it was enough. Okay, so that's where we'll leave things for today. Do check us out at explaininghistory.org. And remember, if you're buying Christmas presents books, uh, history books for Christmas presents this year, do try to get them at your local indie, um, and there are links to my favourite independent bookshop in this uh, the notes to this podcast. We, and if you quote Explaining History, you'll get 10% off. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.